0: All right, here we are at Lawyer Talk Legal Breakdown, another Rittenhouse Breakdown. It is uh, Sunday, November 14. We are on the eve of uh, closing arguments. There's a little bit to unpack involving jury instructions and closing arguments. But I thought I'd do something different today. Uh, I'm getting tired of hearing myself yak all the time and uh, acting like I know everything all the time. So I thought I would uh, get uh, my friend, phenomenal uh, criminal defense lawyer up in Detroit, Michigan, Mark Satawa, to help me break down these issues. Uh, so I reached out to Mark this morning and he has agreed uh, to join us here momentarily. We're waiting for Mark to uh, jump online. A couple quick things. Uh, here on The Legal Breakdown, we're not just covering what I want to cover. We can cover what you want to cover. So go to LawyerTalkPodcast.com, uh, submit a question, submit a topic. I'll be happy to break it down. Uh, and as always, we have the uh, Lawyer Talk Q&A series. If you've got a specific legal question, uh, not just a bigger topic you want to have uh, broken down, uh, go ahead and shoot me an email. Uh, and if you actually need help with your legal question, you can always uh, check me out at the law firm All right. So it looks like Mark is ready as promised. Here he is.
1: Good morning, Steve.
0: Good morning. Uh, So you're, for those who don't know, Mark is a criminal defense attorney. He does uh, pretty much exactly what I do, except up in uh, the Michigan area. Mark, how long you been doing this?
1: So I was a prosecutor for five years from, um, uh, from 93 uh, to 94, I was at the attorney general's office and then from 90, 5 to, or 2,000 I was with the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office, which is the county Detroit is in. Uh, and then since 2000, I've been practicing criminal defense in the Detroit area.
0: Yeah. And, and, and again, for those who don't know, Mark and I have done some discussions like this before. We've even done a video. Check that one out on channel 511.com uh, or on YouTube. Uh, but uh, more than that, we practice pretty regularly together, so I know him. So I, I, Most of this is uh, really just to update the masses on, uh, on Mark's resume, but uh, I don't think I don't know it. Uh, in fact, Mark and I, we're working on a self-defense case right now, and uh, the Rittenhouse case uh, seems sort of relevant to all that. Uh, Mark, did you get a chance, I never asked you this, did you get a chance to try murder cases as a prosecutor and maybe prosecute a self-defense case?
1: I did, you know, and you know, I I think you and I have talked about this before, Steve. Uh, self-defense is one of those uh defenses and, and, and a self-defense case is one of those cases that has multi-layered uh issues with it. And 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 I think you like to say you have the legal the legal end of it, the legal issue with the technical definition of self-defenses, but of course, doing what we do, we have to try and um, bring that uh, legal issue to the jurors so that they, they they accept it and and really kind of of hold on to it on an emotional level. Um, Self defense is frequently comes down to whether the jurors think they would have done the same thing. What would I have done in that situation? And I think as a prosecutor, your job is to try and show that what that person did was reasonable. But what you're really trying to show, right, is is like, look, you juror, Mr. Juror, Ms. Juror, you would not have pulled the trigger and shot that person in that same position. And, of course, the job of the defense attorney is just the opposite. I mean, it's to say, Mr. Juror, Mrs. Juror, if you were in that position, you would have pulled the trigger. And, therefore, by definition, what my client did is reasonable.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and it becomes almost this um... – like you said, a multi-layered analysis ranging from like the technical legal aspects of self-defense all the way to the emotional side of it. And, and when you stand up on the defense side or the prosecution side, you know, one in, each, one in an individual case may have a, a different take on that than the other. And, you know, what's your take on, uh, on the Rittenhouse? Which side is going to play the emotions? Which side is going to play the legal? Or is it a little bit of both?
1: You know, Steve, you and I have loved talking about this case. And I think one of the reasons you and I work so well together is that kind of yin and yang of how we see things differently. And, and, and you know, of course, me being a little bit uh, um, on a different, you know, wavelength on some of these issues than you frequently, you know, I, I wanted <laughs> I did not like this kid. Right. I wanted to go into this trial believing that, you know, this kid was was a was a was a poser, was a wannabe you know he went up uh from his his town in Illinois to Kenosha carrying an AR15 and he's going to be billy badass and he's going to you know he's going to be the cops and he's going to uh carry an AR and 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 uh police the community and, uh, and it's it was a recipe for disaster right like let's go up to an area that is that is overwhelmed with with civil unrest and, I'm, and a 17 year old Pumped up on t- testosterone is going to carry an AR. What could possibly yeah. go wrong, right?
0: Yeah, yeah I'm sure um, you would let your own son go, Dad. Can <laughs> I go to the uh, the rioting where there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on? And by the way, I want to strap on my AR-15.
1: And I'm going to, com- to police the community, right? I'm going to march around the streets. I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm not going to sit somewhere. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there into the middle of it all. And and I I didn't I didn't want to like this kid and quite frankly I, I don't I still don't really like the kid but what I, I guess what I better st- stated I didn't want to like this case. I wanted I wanted to see what I what my initial visceral reaction was, which is boy oh boy, you know, this kid's gonna go down and he's gonna go down hard. Um and of course this is one of those reasons why you and I spend so much time doing the consulting that we do and why we preach. These focus groups to lawyers so much because, because at first blush, these defense lawyers had a lot stacked against them, and the prosecutor had a, a case that in this political clim- climate had a had a lot of emotional impact, a lot of visceral impact in their favor. And I, I think much like you, Steve, I mean we've talked about it a little bit, but but the beginning of this case forward. I think the prosecutor has done just about everything they could to to lose this case. And and on the flip side, I think the defense lawyers have done an excellent job. And it's it's hard to look at the facts the way they came into this jury without thinking, I think what he did, Rittenhouse did fits the Wisconsin definition of self-defense.
0: Well, let me back up for a second because you said that uh, the case sort of started for you with this notion uh, that you didn't want to like it or didn't want to like Rittenhouse, and and I get that those two things are different, but they also influence each other. Um, it, you have handled as many, if not more, media cases than I, and what's your take on the media when you get a case like this? Uh, I, I confess, I've never had a case with this much fanfare, and I'm not sure you have either, with the entire world watching it, but. Uh, it seems like, uh, the first thing you'd have to do when you sat down to defend it is figure out what the media narrative has been and, uh, how do you spin it? And I think a focus group would be an excellent Maybe multiple focus groups in a case like this would be an excellent start. But, uh, what's your take on, uh, on dealing with the media in this?
1: Well, you got to do something right. I mean, this case began with, um, you know we live in such a polarized country so i mean you have you had a group of people that immediately were going to be pro-defendant we're going to be favor this kid and you have a group of people a larger group of people quite frankly who were going to be anti-rittenhouse anti you know defendant um and and there's no question um that you know look in the wake of Floyd in the wake of uh, the Aubrey trial going on in Georgia and all these things sort of you know, happening at the same time. And obviously it was a very, very difficult time in this country when this went down with, uh, with the COVID shutdowns and the civil unrest and the Black Lives Matter. I guess, again, depending on your perspective, writing or protesting.
0: It's probably um, both, I think, at different times, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well yeah. Well said. And um so you have a, a climate that if you're this kid's lawyer, you simply can't ignore that. I mean and, you know the 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 prosecution in these cases can can act like they're taking the high road so often, right? They just let the media do what the media is going to do. And they they say, well, we're not going to comment on an active case. We don't think it's appropriate. We're going to let it play out in the court of law. And of course, as his lawyer, you don't have that luxury because the media isn't spinning your narrative. The, in, the media is spinning the prosecutor's narrative for the prosecutor. So you have to be out there in front of this, getting the other side out there. I, I mean, I, I, I will say, I'm not sure how well the defense did in this case steve because because the facts that have come out during this trial are significantly different than what i was going that i would have expected or guessed the facts would have come out as
0: well it's interesting i in uh, the same uh, i guess i feel the same way about a lot of it though at the time this happened i think you were actually down at columbus at one point we were working on a different case we, we were i was sort of dissecting some of the videos and some of the uh, uh footage that was getting shown um and then
1: and i poo pooed you yeah i was like Steve, you're being Steve again. And you, of course, are saying, Mark, you're being Mark. But, I mean, I, I dismissed what you were trying to tell me. So, you're, that is a very accurate statement.
0: And I I had an interesting input. I did an interview with a guy named Andrew Bronca. He is a, a lawyer, self-defense expert. He does a lot of consulting. But uh, he had an interesting point on this. And he said uh, a lot of these cases that he has worked on, he has unturned. Uh, information that folks behind the scenes are sort of influencing the narrative and he didn't necessarily mean just because of media bias he meant because of money bias because there's a lot of money behind a potential conviction uh, in civil uh, in civil liability whether it's in 1983 or whether it's some other type of action Uh, and there is a lot of money behind the scenes sort of trying to influence what the narrative will be leading up to the criminal trial almost to the point they don't really care what the criminal outcome is but uh, they want to uh, or I don't want to say it that way they don't necessarily care about the criminal case in the sense that uh, they care about a criminal case. they care about it because it influences possible damage awards And uh, I, I have no experience with something like that or at least uncovering something like that but it's sort of a scary thought when you think about it.
1: It is it is and I think that I think that the idea, of the battle of public perception right i mean the, the the rush to convict this kid look we defense lawyers we deal with this all the time and and as you very correctly noted the higher the publicity the the the, the stronger the uh the the pressure the stronger the uh the the bias um and the, the seem, seemingly the faster the rush to judgment and and you have to do something about it as your as as this kid's lawyer you can't allow the narrative to spin like that for you know the year plus it took for this case to go from you know from arrest to conviction i mean i'm not conviction <laughs> yeah. arrest to trial
0: <laughs> yeah and there's been uh let's shift gears a minute because one of the things that i did want to talk to you about and I, I know my viewpoint on it um and I'm curious to hear yours, which is, this judge, um, he's, he's a character. You know, we, we, I've seen judges like this, I've practiced in front of judges like this. He has been uh, doing, what is he, in his 70s now, I think. Um, and there's been a lot of media, I'll call it the mainstream media, sort of jumping all over him as being pro-defense or uh, being a, uh, even, I think some of them are even calling him a white supremacist. Uh, but I've watched this trial and, and I know my thoughts uh, what are yours about this judge? What he has done, his rulings, his demeanor, his attitude, uh, and uh, generally, uh, maybe the spin that the media has given it—whether it's appropriate?
1: That is such a a loaded question, and it's packed with so much, so many different layers of—I mean,
0: yeah, I did that on purpose to you, but that's
1: yeah, uh, right. And you know, I, you and I both agree that. You know calling someone a white supremacist you know and the funny thing is as a side note of course as you know i represent one of the individuals accused of plotting to kidnap and do harm to the governor of michigan and um and i as well as my daughter in college um had people accusing me of being a white supremacist for for defending this guy And the funny thing is, as you know, because you know me, I'm the furthest thing, you know, I mean, I am far more progressive, liberal, left, whatever word you want to use, than you are on a lot of these issues. I, I, you know, they're, they're attacking the wrong guy with that accusation. And it's, 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 I think I get the sense that in this case, the same thing's happening to this judge. This judge may be a lot of things. But the one thing that it doesn't strike me one bit is this guy is a white supremacist. I think that prosecutors are notoriously bad losers, right? They they whine and complain when things don't go their way. And that's typically because things almost always go their way in this political climate. And when you get a judge who appears to be even-handed down the middle of the road that 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 is outside the norm because it's typically so strongly pro-prosecution they're used to getting every discretionary call right and and when they don't get every discretionary call i'll now all of a sudden people are accusing them of being pro-defense or or in this case of white supremacist and it's nonsense
0: yeah. i think
1: this guy's ruling go ahead go ahead
0: no 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 he finished you said you think this guy's rulings
1: have been pretty even handed r- down the middle of the road i mean i, I mean you know I, I i thought the judge's reaction to the prosecutor going into those topics on cross examination of the defendant and, uh, and 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 you know you know the judge's reaction you know the judge the judge did not de- declare a mistrial i think the judge could have and i think that there was a basis for saying that the mistrial was at the fault of the people so jeopardy would have attached and they couldn't have retried this kid i mean you know so so i I I think for every ruling that looks like it's pro-defense, he's making a ruling that's against the defense, and people are just not used to a judge that's being down the middle of the road and and even-handed. I mean, maybe this guy's rulings are a little bit more towards the defendant than the prosecutor, but, you know, there's, you know, I think sometimes we'd like to, it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that there's one guy in that courtroom that has deep seated constitutional rights, right? To due yeah. process, to a fair trial, to to uh to all of those things and uh and and, and when judges make rulings that, that that protect those very, very important liberties and rights, um, people get all wonky and it's it's hard to it's 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 hard to it's hard to hear given that it appears the judge is trying his very best to do the best he can under, like you said, the magnifying lens of an extremely high profile case.
0: Yeah, I, I, again, there's a lot to unpack with that. And I think so often, maybe to start this way, you and I and anybody else who does what we do, how many times do we have a very popular cause or a defendant next to us? I mean, so often we represent the reprehensible guy who's accused maybe rightfully of molesting a child or maybe wrongfully of molesting a child. We represent the individual that the, that society wants to hate. I get the question all the time, how do you represent those dirt balls? How do you represent those people? And, and I think to us, I mean, back to this notion of, of uh, white supremacists or this or that or the other, you are no more a white supremacist for representing your client up in Michigan than this judge is for deciding a, a, something on the law, an evidentiary issue on the law. I think, I think to you, to me, to the judge, there is that. There is that sort of um, at least still in this country. We still have a standard of right. Uh, and it sits outside those considerations, right? Whether it helps a defense or hurts a defense, whether it helps a black defendant, a white defendant, an Asian, it doesn't make any difference. The same rule has to apply to everybody. And just because the judge is making a decision that, um, that would seemingly favor the defense, it doesn't mean that he's favoring the defense. What he's doing is he's decided an issue of law that should go that way. I mean, nobody's asked, is it the correct decision that the judge made? They're just saying he's favoring the defense so you know taking that logic the prosecutor could violate every single rule of decorum every single uh, due process rule uh, could uh, make arguments that are nothing less than designed to inflame the jury for the passions and prejudices of the jury and uh, if the judge let that go in this case um, it's going to happen again in the next case where it's a defendant that the media or whoever it is likes so the idea is do it the same do it fairly Um, and, and Making a judgment on his um, whether he's a racist or not or white supremacist or not based on a legal ruling uh, without first asking, well, was it the cor- correct ruling? It seems like uh, complete nonsense to me.
1: You know, when when I first started practicing criminal defense work in in you know in the turn of the century two thousand, I started going to seminars, NACDL and and whatnot, and one of the things that they they quickly teach you, and and I I do agree with this, is because of the state of racial uh, controversy and issues in this country, anytime you have a case where there is cross-racial defendant alleged victim or alleged victim to defendant, race is an issue in the case, and you can't ignore it. And, and, and it's difficult because, as you said, this should be about whether the defendant in this case was acting in lawful self-defense when he pulled the trigger and he shot those three people. Now, the fact that those three people were black makes this far more complicated.
0: Actually, they were if, not. They were. They were not. Um, that it was at a. It was at a protest. Or a situation that was, I think, fueled by the shooting, uh, another police shooting of a, a black suspect. But the victims here were white, I, I believe, if, if two of them, if, if not all three.
1: You know what? I think you're right. And there, there goes an, an example of of sort of me filling in the blanks of of a story if I didn't remember them 100, percent incorrectly based on my own past experience and biases. Um, and I, I think you're 100% correct. Now that you, as soon as you mentioned that, I'm like, I th- you know what? Holy crap, I think he's right. Um, you know, but certainly I guess my, my my larger point still remains in the context of what was going on in Kenosha and and the Black Lives Matter issues associated with what was going on in Kenosha and why the defendant one up there is going to color the background of this case in a way that you can't avoid. I mean, you have to take, again, this is another one of those issues that you have to deal with and, and probably deal with by focus grouping it prior to the trial. And, 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 and you either, you either deal with it head on or you try to get everybody in the courtroom to ignore the huge pink elephant standing in the middle of the courtroom.
0: Yeah, and and if you if you ignore it yourself without at least considering the fact that you're ignoring it for a reason, then you're making a mistake on on the defense and probably on the prosecution side too. That that has to be, you know, that like you said, that has to influence. Uh, I guess that undergirds everything you're doing, particularly in this case. Um, the other thing I wanted to to follow up with you on is this judge made some decisions or uh, made some comments and sort of screamed at the prosecutor. Um, for some things that he did and I think it's worthy of at least some note one that didn't happen in front of the jury I don't believe I think the jury had had left the courtroom and and I say that because and and you know the you know the impact of this when a judge starts to berate one side or another in front of the jury well intended or not that's going to start to influence the jury's impression of the case and I think this judge has been very careful at least not to do that the judge is uh, Uh, quietly let the jury get out of the courtroom and and then he starts to uh, deal with the issues at hand Um, so when he was screaming at the prosecutor it wasn't in front of the jury and and you said something else here is that uh, I don't want to say the prosecutor deserves to get yelled at but we should at least talk a little bit about what was going on. The judge had an evidentiary decision about what evidence was going to be admissible and what evidence was not going to be admissible. The prosecutor Uh, sort of thought that um, somehow the defense uh, asked questions, uh, presented something that opened the door uh, for the evidence that the judge otherwise said was not admissible, and then took it upon himself to just start without asking permission. Um, You sort of said there might even be grounds for a mistrial there. Uh, Explain that a little bit further, what the significance of that is, because I think it, when, when looked at just in little blurps, it looks like the judge is just being a uh, being mean to the prosecutor. But the reality of it is, there's more significant stuff going
1: on there. Well, yeah, I mean, look, um, there was a lot of things the prosecutor could have done um, with this uh, with this um, uh, decision to cross examine. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse on those issues, and as you said, the most obvious thing the judge, the prosecutor, could have done, is got up, without the jury in the courtroom, and said, "Your Honor, I believe the defense has opened the door on these issues, um, and um, and I, I I submit that I should be able to cross examine on some of these issues." You, as you pr- properly pointed out, Steve, you have. Um, you have previously um ruled to be not admissible and um and he didn't and of course he didn't because he didn't want the judge to foreclose his ability to ask those questions and he wanted to get those questions out to the jury because he knew even if the defense objected the question would have been out there already and and that and that was clearly what this prosecutor wanted to do and was trying to do and 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 i i i think anyone that 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 tries to criticize this judge for for his reaction to the prosecutor doing that is is off base i mean you know the 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 the, as you said the judge clearly had made a ruling that that he did not want this stuff these issues to gone into on 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 cross-examination the the prosecutor clearly made a conscious decision to ignore that ruling. And um, and I think that the judge did, as you pointed out, the, the ju- what the judge's reaction was, was completely appropriate under the circumstances, which is to say the judge. Number one, excuse the jury. Called the prosecutor out. You know outside the presence of the jury and then didn't declare a mistrial. So what is the judge's reaction supposed to have been? I mean, I think it was completely, it was handled completely properly.
0: Yeah. And I think it's worthy of, uh, I agree with you. And uh, having been yelled at by a number of judges appropriately and what I thought were inappropriate times in front of the jury, uh, it, uh, it changes it, it, the judge could have done that. It wouldn't have... Um, everything still would have gone on. And uh, then the jury would have seen the judge berating a prosecutor. And, and and that didn't happen. I think that's significant. But I think it's worthy also to discuss what the evidence was. Apparently, there was going to be questioning about uh, Rittenhouse made comments, I guess, after the fact, after this incident, about uh, shooting somebody with his AR-15 for, uh, for stealing or making a property or committing a property crime. And the prosecutor wanted to bring that out to to sort of, I don't know what his admissible purpose for it was other than it made Rittenhouse look bad, um, which is really what was going on. And uh, I I bring this up in in that kind of detail because something you said is important to discuss, and that is just the question out of the prosecutor, even if it is objected to and uh, there's no answer, can be enough uh, to screw up a case, to contaminate a case. I mean, you take something inflammatory like that The jury gets to hear it through the question itself, even if it's later uh, stricken, as we would say, from the record or excluded from the record. You know, they're not going to unhear that. And that's why that judge was so upset is because, uh, you know, how much time, money and effort has been invested into or invested into this case. And that's the kind of crap that gets it reversed. Um, And and to do it on purpose, even more so, uh, I don't know that I could have bit my tongue like he did and waited on the jury to leave. I would have been I'd have been furious.
1: I think that um, I think that you, I think you're 100% right. The, the, the I thought the judge was was restrained. In light of. His ruling could not have been clear and the prosecutor's decision to ignore that ruling could not have been more conscious, right? I mean, this was not a mistake. This was yeah. a this was a conscious, intentional decision.
0: And that's what this judge kept saying. You're a veteran, seasoned prosecutor. You know better than to do this crap. Um, all right. Well, moving on. I, I spent some time Friday watching the footage. I think that most people wouldn't care about, and that was uh, uh, the discussion about jury instructions uh, as they prepare for closing arguments. And I think, at least for those who don't do it regularly, it, it seems odd that there'd be debate, argument, or discussion for By the, the way, whole day. Steve. Yeah.
1: By the way, Steve, you know, I think I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I think, in fairness, both of us probably should have made it a little bit clearer that the issue we're talking about involving the judge's admonishment of the prosecution is one of those no-no's that any lawyer knows to begin with, right? I mean, the idea that you would comment on the defendant's post-arrest silence when he has a constitutionally rooted right not to self-incriminate himself. And we even have the famous Miranda warnings that every person in America has heard hundreds of times in movies and television, and the prosecutor knew that there was a ruling saying he could not ask about his post-arrest silence. There didn't even need to be a ruling about that, that that is that 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 under almost any circumstance. Now, look, there are exceptions, but on almost any circumstance, any prosecutor should know that, that the defendant, choosing not to talk after his arrest should not be a topic he should be cross-examined on to begin with. So, I mean, I think that also fuels the judge's reaction, right? It's just like, like you said, you're a veteran prosecutor. You should know better even if I didn't give you that ruling. And I think that fueled a lot of the judge's reaction. I mean, the topic of cross-examination is a, is an, is an off the, you know, off the, you know, is a no, no, to begin with. Right. And I think that is a lot of why it was so. I think that's why the judge's uh, berating of the prosecutor was as strong as it was. I mean, I think that I think we're I think we we shouldn't we would be it would be a mistake for us not to. Comment on on that as the subject matter being. Man, oh, man, I mean, that you, you couldn't have picked the topic that w- would have been more more um, more of a no-no for a prosecutor going to to begin with
0: yeah I guess that's important I'm glad you brought that up because really this was the the B rating so to speak outside the presence of the jury was a culmination of a couple of different things it started when I think when the prosecutor first stood up to pro to cross-examine Rittenhouse uh, he starts to go down this path of uh, so you've sat here this whole time that you have listened to all these witnesses and only now do you first start to, or are you gonna tell us your story um, and, you know, it's this, you're 100% right that this is like criminal defense or uh, criminal law 101. You, you can't right. do that. I mean, this is like, uh, and, and to, to stop somebody from doing that has, it couldn't be further from racism or white supremacy. It's like, you, you're not allowed to do that. And, and there's a reason you're not allowed to do it. It's because we have that, you know, that pesky Bill of Rights, as I always say, right in the way of it. In, in Amendment Number Five, that he has a right to remain silent, and anything he says uh, can't be used against him, uh, or his silence can't be used against him because he's exercising his right to remain silent. And by going down that path, what the prosecutor essentially did was punish him uh, through his questioning, asking the jury to draw some adverse uh, inference out of it by questioning him on why he wouldn't talk until he gets to court. And you know that's knee-jerk stuff. That's the kind of stuff that. If Even if I fell asleep at counsel table with my pen in my hand taking notes, I'll wake up for that and object. Um, you know we, it's like you would know. and um, the the judge knows that the defense lawyers knew that the prosecutor, sure as hell, knew it, and and knew. one hundred percent knew. There's no way he could not have known. There is no ignorance of a defense here or as a defense here. When he started nibbling around the edges of that, if he didn't intend to cross the line, he was thinking, I'll see how far I can go before um, I get stopped here. And uh, it's borderline misconduct even try. And by saying misconduct like government prosecutorial misconduct that can itself be reversible error for the prosecutor to even try to do that. And uh, and then when it happens again, not, not that exactly, but when the when the prosecutor, you know half an hour later or whatever in his cross, starts to bring up crap that was already excluded, now the judge is already you know his dander's already up i mean he, he's ready to it's like now what the hell are you doing this again and uh that's what caused the explosion i think
1: i think you're right yeah i mean i think that's well said and I, and I, and again i mean i i think what you i think you described it perfectly i mean you know that the 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 prosecutor was going to go as far as he could uh, until he got stopped and he did that as a conscious decision on purpose and he knew he was going to get at least a little bit into it before he got stopped and he thought that whatever little bit he could get into it was worth the risk
0: and i think it's also worthy of note here you said something earlier like uh, you know that we're protecting the defendant's constitutional rights the gu- and there's only one person in the room that has those and that is true you know i i, I argue with prosecutors all the time And I don't care who is sitting next to me. I don't care who my client is. Is that you know? It's this is not supposed to be um, the same for both sides. We have the Constitution. You don't. We get these constitutional rights. You don't. And if you want to outline for a second all the things that the government gets that the defense doesn't, we we can do that. Starting with budget, you know. But when it comes down to the to the trial constitutional rights, there's very few of them. And we're the only ones that get them. They don't. So the judge can say, you're not allowed, uh, Mr. Prosecutor, to talk about silence. But we can turn around and do it with their witnesses. And you can say that's not fair. You can say that's not right. But the fact is, we have a constitutional right. Our defendants, our clients, we all have that right. And after your arrest, you don't have to make statements. And if you're going to get impeached or somebody's going to make you look like you're lying or, or concealing as a result of that, uh, and that's the pro if the prosecutor's doing that, that's a violation of your constitutional rights. That's just how it is. It's not a one-way street or it's not a two-way street. It's a one-way street. So I, I think we beat that dead horse enough, but yeah, yeah um, yeah. It, it, here's, so you were
1: talking, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I, I was, we were going to get into some jury instruction issues and, you know, I found that sort of interesting. I know that's like watching paint dry for a lot of people that day, but, uh, I, I think it's it's worthy just to give people a little bit of uh, thoughts on how the sausage is really made and what goes on in that because you would think that oh jury instructions that's got to be simple you just write down the law read it to the jury but uh, maybe describe for a minute just what a like what's the how do we come up with jury instructions um, in in that in that process how it works because I think uh, simplifying it here might be might be an interesting discussion.
1: Well, you said something really interesting earlier in this uh episode steve where you mentioned the case you and i are doing in ohio and and you know the battle about the jury instructions in that case it's going to be i don't know if it's half the battle but it's going to be a significant part of that trial in terms of what the jury is told about the law of self-defense and there is no outside of perhaps consent in a sexual assault case there is no more important jury instruction related issue than in a self-defense homicide case because, because we all have our own internal trigger about what we think self-defense is and what it looks like. When I was prosecuting cases in Detroit in front of a an urban big city jury pool, the the, the, the questions we always asked ourselves going into the trial was, did the dece- did the decedent deserve to die because that's what the jury's going to ask did the guy deserve to die and secondly did the right person pull the trigger did the right person kill him and if you if you if you had those two things against you as a prosecutor or in your favor as a defense lawyer you you're a long way a long way towards winning an acquittal um and 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 I think that the jury instruction most of the time, You and I have discussed this a lot. This is why we believe so strongly in focus grouping. Most of the time, juries decide with their hearts, with their gut, what they think is happened in a particular case. And then they backfill using the law like jury instructions to support their conclusion. They don't they don't they don't take the facts, apply them to the to the jury instructions and say, okay, we believe the charge conduct falls under the elements of this of this crime and and they and they have disproved this affirmative defense beyond a reasonable doubt. That's just not what juries do in most cases. They decide with their gut, they decide with their heart, and then they use the jury instructions. They use the law to backfill and and give reasons to the decision they've already made self-defense is one of those outliers just like consent jury instructions become really really important does the person have a duty to retreat did they have a did they have a, a fear of an immediate of, of immediate death or serious bodily harm was that fear reasonable does the castle doctrine apply um, you know um, you know uh, you know the the, the, the this case is further complicated by not just a self-defense claim, but potentially a defense of others. You know, so the, the, those issues are are critically important because, unlike the normal criminal charge, a homicide case without a self-defense argument, jury instructions aren't nearly as important as they are in a self-defense case, a murder case with a self-defense argument. They're just. It sometimes is, like I said, fifty percent or more of the battle. Quite frankly,
0: yeah. And to those who think that uh, the judge was being biased against the defense, I think this is worthy of noting: is that what the what a, a one of the big things they were debating on Friday was whether the prosecutor was going to be entitled to something in in uh, Wisconsin law that was uh, a provocation instruction, meaning if um it, was he provoked, was he not provoked? Did uh, did Rittenhouse do something to provoke the attack on him? I think was what was getting debated, and this is like where do you draw the circle around the facts of the case? Do you draw the circle uh, very broadly, like you said when you first when we first started, Mark? Like if the what was Rittenhouse actually doing, going to this this scene with an AR-15, was he provoking loaded. a re- loaded right? right? Was he provoking a response? Um, and then you can narrow that circle to various points in time as the case unfolded. And at the end of the day it came down to this weird analysis of a video clip that maybe showed something inconsistent with what rittenhouse had said on the stand and and whether that was something uh, whether rittenhouse was doing something in that situation i think it was leveling his gun in the direction of somebody he later shot or shortly after shot um was that a provocation for the attack of the the other guy's attack on rittenhouse in other words if, if i point a gun at you moments later you're coming at me with a gun have I provoked that and therefore lose my right to claim self-defense? And that was the judge agreed in the course of that whole debate on Friday to give that instruction is that if you find that, that um, Rittenhouse provoked that attack with this individual, then it's not. Then the state doesn't have to disprove self-defense. And or if you found that the state disproved that element, then self-defense doesn't work. So it, it was a huge uh, as you said, the self-defense instructions can be can make or break a case, and that's one that if the if the prosecutor doesn't get that instruction, uh, it may have just they may not have been able to win. Actually, if you you know, it, it may have been that significant that as a matter of law there may have been no way to negate self-defense on that element, and that is why I have a lot of respect for this judge because in the context of making that finding, what he said was this is not for me to decide no matter what i believe i'm not going to decide this i think this is for the jury to decide this is why we're here i'm going to give the instruction if i were sitting at the defense table i would have uh, appropriately acted like i didn't care but i'd be thinking i'd be have some four-letter words streaming through my head like that sucks <laughs> you know i wanted i did not want that instruction to be read to the jury so uh, i guess at least in that part maybe the parts that uh, aren't being said out loud in the media, the judge is is sort of being even-handed, or or at least he dealt the defense a blow on that one.
1: I think it was the, the, again, the berating on the cross-examination of the defendant occurred outside the presence of the jury. I would take what you said one step further, Steve. I think this is the most significant ruling this judge has made, and it was in favor of the prosecutor and against the defense. So, you know, people can make their claims of bias all they want. This was a huge win for the prosecutor and an equally huge loss for the defendant going into closing argument.
0: And I guess I'll say one more thing about it. it, it whether if, if it exposes my bias, it doesn't even, do, it, maybe it, uh, di, it it disproves any bias I might have. I was thinking as I was listening to this argument, this judge has to give that instruction. He has to do it. Um, there, all you need is a bit of evidence, and uh, all there has to be is some reasonable argument that the prosecutor, prosecutor can make, and then you get the instruction. If it's if it matches the law and it's supported by the facts, you got to give the instruction and let the jury uh, decide it. And uh, and when he did that, I thought to myself, nobody's going to say this stuff out loud. But that was like you said, maybe the most significant evidentiary ruling in the case. And uh, and he did the right thing. I agree. All right, so it's. Uh, Closing arguments 9 a.m. tomorrow, and you've got to stand up on behalf of the prosecutor. What are you going to argue? I know you haven't seen the whole case, but you, there's an emotional side, there's a legal side, there's a whole uh, a mess. Uh, you know, what's your what what's going through your head? What are you thinking?
1: Well, I think you start with where we just let off, don't you?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, a 17-year-old kid made a conscious decision to to to, to go from suburb of Chicago up to Kenosha Wisconsin. he took an AR-15, he loaded it he started walking around the streets um, policing as a community national guard almost uh, And then as you said, um, I would I would I would get that jury to the point where they say, the result was almost predetermined i mean how could this have ended any other way and and as i get them to the point where rittenhouse made the decision to pull the trigger i i get that jury i i hammer the legal the jury instruction that you and i just discussed
0: if he was the, provoked the
1: def- yeah the defendant does not get to aim a loaded assault rifle at people, and then later claim he pulled the trigger on that assault rifle in self-defense. That 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 that, that the pointing of the rifle is in fact provocation. That that eliminates any legitimate self-defense claim by the by the defendant. And I, I I think that's I think that's a a very very short closing argument i think it's a very very forceful simple i would apply the kiss principle my closing argument would not be two hours long i don't think this is a complicated case for the for the prosecutor uh and you and i have always both said i want to be the guy giving the cross the closing argument that lasts less than 30 minutes because if my if my argument can be made that shortly that succinctly then i got the the facts and the law on my side if i have to talk for two and a half hours to convince them of something you know, it's the famous Mark Twain quote, right? I'm sorry my speech was so long. I didn't have enough time to make it shorter. You know, I mean, it's, 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 I, I don't like, I don't like it if you see the prosecutor going on and on. And then this witness said, and then this witness said, and then this, no, no. You can talk about the facts of the case that support your argument by summarizing all of the witnesses together.
0: Yeah. And then then if there is a witness to highlight, if there is one bit of evidence like this videotape that they've had uh, enhanced or this little thing, then you've left yourself time and most important and related. You've left you, you've saved the jury's attention for that that matters, not the extraneous that is just sort of a uh, filler. And uh, I think you're exactly right. You have to you have to paint the big picture, narrow in on one or two of those facts that show that Rittenhouse uh, provoke the attack on him and then later is trying to claim self-defense and then get the hell off the
1: stage. No doubt. All right. The faster you can do it, the, the, the short, short amount of time you can do it is the more powerful that message will be to the jury.
0: Now you're on the other side. What do you argue?
1: You know, look, I, I, I think you and I both agree that, um, that the defendant... Did a competent job testifying in his own defense. I think he did far better than most people, sort of predetermined he would do. And predicted he would do. I think that um, he came across as sympathetic. Um, I think that you you got to get your jury each one of those individual jurors into his shoes and and you have to get them to believe that 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 if they were in his position, they would have pulled the trigger. And you do that. You do that by 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 arguing to the emotional impact of being a 17 year old kid in the middle of civil unrest and rioting going on and you're there. And again, you and I would love to talk about in these self-defense cases that de- the defendant is allowed to be wrong as long as his, as long as his belief was reasonable. And, um, and, and it was reasonable for Rittenhouse to, to, to think he was doing the right thing. He was there to try to, pro- to protect shopkeepers and, and, and property owners in, in Kenosha, um, he 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 legitimately thought he was being attacked. He legitimately was in fear for his life, and he legitimately felt that the only the only uh, option available to him was to pull the trigger. And you've got to get the jury to believe that they would have done the same thing.
0: Yeah, and and you have to then you, it's sort of the same thing in reverse, right? You want to keep it as simple as you can, focus on those big picture facts, and then that leaves you time and valuable attention span of the jury to say this it's like they want to stop this thing in this split second like 132nd of a second or whatever it is for a frame on a video and say that Kyle Rittenhouse in the context of all of that uh, was provoking somebody and therefore he shouldn't be allowed to defend himself when a guy pulls a gun on him when a guy's going to bash him when he's on the floor it's like it, it you can then take what they're doing and and then reverse it on him and say they want this to be provocation but the only evidence they have is some enhanced video with one split second of of time and they're going to pause it here in this blurry moment and convict him of murder based on that and don't get confused by the way with all this nonsense about he went there with a gun he did this he did that because if he went there to kill he would have killed he would have just started pulling the trigger on people and not just those people who were coming after him if he were there to kill for people looting he would have sat up in his perch with uh, protection and pick people off. Um, You can you can say that it was dumb, you can say shouldn't be there, you can say all that, but he still gets to he still gets to defend himself against the attacks of others. Um, And there's probably a more artful way to do it, but that fact hopefully they have focus group, they didn't call us, but hopefully they have focus grouped it and gotten some consultation on how that gets presented because that is on the defense side the most critical fact. Rittenhouse has to take those hits and ironically it's not really legally he has to take those hits he has to take those hits emotionally they have to say he went there uh, with some sort of ill motive the, they being the prosecutor and uh, even if they don't say it out loud that's the quiet part that you're worried everybody's thinking about and uh, it, those facts are the ones that hurt the defense I would be dealing with that in closing arguments for sure And then it's almost like this is uh, the opposite of what we normally do. Usually we're the ones like pinpointing like a split second of a videotape on a picture that's blurry and saying, see, our guy's not guilty. And this time it's the opposite. The prosecutors are doing that and saying, see, look, he's guilty. And um, we have to look at the big picture here. And what was really going on is that this guy was running for his life in a crowd of of craziness, whether he should have been there or not. uh, He had the same right everybody else had to be there.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I do. What 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 scares me, if I'm the defense lawyer, is is I feel like my closing argument is going to have to be longer than it than I would like it to be. I think it's a tougher closing argument for the defendant, for the defense, than it was for the prosecutor. I think if the prosecutor's smart and a good trial lawyer, and you and I both know how infrequently that is true, um, uh, you know if if he is a good as, as as experienced and as and and as good as the judge seemed to imply he is, his closing argument should be really, really short, um and focused. And I think that the the defendant defense lawyer has a much more difficult job and that starts with the fact that his closing argument is going to be longer maybe twice as long i hate when i'm i hate when i'm in the position of the guy giving the clo- longer closing argument but i do think you have as you suggested i think you have a lot more to cover uh than the prosecutor does
0: yeah the prosecutor can just basically this is a this is a domino's case for the prosecutor right it's like if it falls like you get that one to fall that one little moment in time to fall then you know now you've painted the whole picture um but i will predict that the prosecutor will not take your wisdom i will predict that they talk way too long i will predict that they spend an i, I don't want to say an hour but way too much time with these videos stopping making them blurry pa- or showing how it's uh, it depicts this and here's another angle of it and here's all this stuff um and it's so tempting to step into that mess but uh I, I agree with you. They should resist that. They should resist, and uh, at all costs, they should resist that. Jury's got the evidence. They can see if they want to, but uh, you know, spend a couple seconds on it or a couple minutes on it, and push on. And I would flip summarize it. it. Yeah, summarize right? it. Yeah, and and then move on. And I'd flip it on the. I'd flip it to the defense. I was like, look, they're going to get up here and say that. Uh, somehow this enhancement is is improper. It's this or that. I mean, they're going to do everything they say they can because that's the significance of this evidence. And that's all you really need to say is that mm-hmm. the fact is we've got evidence that he was pointing his gun at somebody and then he later shot the guy. Well, what would you expect this other guy to do? You know, so it's, um, I think the more I think about it and talk it through with you, you're 100% right is that on the defense, you're just, you're stuck having to talk too much or a lot anyway to defuse this stuff. And if the prosecutor's smart about it, they will force that. They will make it happen.
1: When I was watching uh the Michigan Penn State game yesterday, you know, pulling my hair out about Harbaugh, the one thing I kept saying to my cousin Andy is, is you know, the only advantage we have is that he's coaching against James Franklin. And Franklin will do what Franklin does. Mm-hmm. And 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 what you're saying is true. You know, our only advantage is, is we're 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 dealing with the prosecutor on the other side, and typically prosecutors do not make good decisions and the right strategic choices when it comes to doing things like what you just said. And instead of a short focused direct closing argument, I completely agree with your prediction. He is going to ramble. He's going to, you know, um, like he's ca- going to spend way too much time. And, yeah. hundred percent.
0: hundred percent. And it's, and maybe it's because, and also uh, it, it's not easy to be brief and not cover things that you think that you want to cover. In fact, it's scary when when you're thinking, well, look, this is the most important part of the evidence. I need to spend the most time on it. It might be the opposite. It's the most important part of the evidence. I need to spend the least time on it. And then you have to make that decision, understand why, and then move on. And that's a scary thing to sit down and say, boy, I didn't cover a whole lot of that. Um, I hope that was the right decision. Uh, And I think it it may be on on both sides uh, it's the hallmark of experience when you can do that and know that you did it for a reason. Um, you would do it again, no matter what the outcome, because it's the right decision to do that. Uh, and if you didn't do it for a reason, well then shame on you. But if you did, and that was your decision, uh, it's most often the hardest to do the the right thing in that, uh, in that situation.
1: Very well said, hundred percent agreed. Um, you know, it's going to come down to, who which side you know which side wins the emotional heart of that jury which side is is the defense able to say if Kyle Rittenhouse had not pulled the trigger he'd be dead he wouldn't be here today or is the prosecutor able to say if Kyle Rittenhouse hadn't aimed the gun at these people provoking them those people would be alive today, and Kyle Rittenhouse wouldn't be on on trial for murder. I mean, who 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 gets the jury on their side on that question is going to win? Who is going to be who wins this trial?
0: Yep, I agree. I uh, I'll confess when it started, I thought the defense had a. I, I would have thought almost it was a slam dunk for the defense when I started this, and the only thing that would have uh, swayed it the other way would have been something improper at trial or something, um, or, or just an emotionally driven verdict. But I think it's become far more nuanced than that, and that's all based on that instruction argument I heard on Friday that uh, has sort of swayed me, that now we got a foot race. And uh, I'm still going to predict an acquittal, but uh, we got a foot race about it. And I think a lot of it, in large part, will depend upon how well uh, both sides sum this thing up. I I, I do sense that, I don't know the defense lawyer, but uh, there's two of them. Uh, but the the lead guy, you can tell he's been there before. You know that guy. That guy is a little bit battle hardened. He's no he's no stranger to a courtroom. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of extraneous crap that he doesn't need to do. Um, he, he, I think he'll uh, hopefully he'll he'll come through, and, and and that kind of experience will matter. Um, and we'll just wait and see what the prosecutor does.
1: You know, it's funny having listening listening to you just now, Steve. I I would have told you, you know, that the that. I I do predict an acquittal on the homicide, but going back for just one quick second to the jury instruction arguments, the prosecutor was able to get quite a bit of lesser included. And as a defense lawyer in this situation, I think you have to be afraid of those. I'd want this case to go to the jury. Look, he either, either shot and killed these people and committed homicide, murder, or he was acting in legal self defense all of this you know like you know reckless discharge of a firearm and you know uh, manslaughter and all this. i mean i i would not have wanted any of those and while i agree with your prediction on the top charges of an acquittal those lessers would scare the shit out of me as a defense lawyer
0: yeah, that's a great point. We didn't talk about it, and, I, and we probably should have. Is that the other part of the jury instructions were lesser included offenses, and what that means is it, the the jury now has an opportunity to say, well, not we're not going to find him guilty of, uh, say, intentional murder or purposeful murder, uh, but we're going to if he's been provoked, it might be manslaughter or some lesser form of murder, and it's a lot easier for a jury to do that. It's a, it's a lot easier to compromise there than it would be. Um, if there isn't a lesser included so do you this is the age-old question in self-defense cases do you go for broke or do you ask for lessers um i've had it come up snake eyes both w- one way and the other at times um and one of my early trials was a, g- a guy who was in a bar fight outside the back of the bar with where the dumpsters are and it was a three-on-one he pulled his knife and killed i think two of them um, and uh we went back into the holding cell right as we were debating this very question jury instructions and I said, man, do you wanna ask for a manslaughter? And he goes, well, do you think, is it more likely I get convicted? And I didn't quite know what he was gonna say or what he was getting at, but when I, when I finally got through it all in his very simplistic way, he was saying, screw that. I'm gonna go for broke. I wanna be acquitted of everything. If it's more likely I get convicted of a, of a crime, any crime, if there's a lesser included, I don't want it. And uh, it worked out well for him that day. Um, and I, I always have thought to myself after i talked to the jury after that case when they acquitted him they said i just barely won they said you just uh you know self defense but just barely and i think if there would have been a compromise he'd have been doing 15 20 years on a manslaughter charge or a pair of, or two manslaughter charges but uh yeah
1: and 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 you know look the the decision to ask for lesser included is always one of the most difficult to make. In this case, I think, as a defense lawyer, I'd be worried about lesser included.
0: And for for what reasons, I don't know. I don't know the law necessarily in Wisconsin. Um, and I have not participated at defense strategy tables. But they agreed, or they, they agreed not to object to some. I mean, there was a, there was a series of those lesser included that the judge actually had a dialogue with Rittenhouse directly. Said, if you talk to your lawyers about this and you want to you're not objecting to these lesser included offense instructions, uh, so they had some reason, presumably, for doing it. Um, I, I'm sort of with you, though. I, I hate lesser included, um, and you and I are probably going to have to cross that bridge in April when we try our case. But uh, you know, it's a it's a dicey, scary thing to give a jury a compromise before you even start.
1: Well, yeah, the 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 equip charge equivalent to discharging a firearm over a public road. I mean yeah you T- know with a with a strict liability intent requirement i mean that's yeah i would hate that kind of charge if, if i'm the defense lawyer in a case like this so
0: yeah you the, know. The, the the danger is always in the weeds like that you know you always got to think through the big picture and, and some of that we may see guilty verdicts on it's a good point you may see guilty verdicts on things that don't make any sense to us but it, it and that happens a lot with these kind of lesser included you get these compromises where half of them are thinking, well, no way, I'm never convicting. The other half are saying, no, he's guilty of everything. And they're like, well, would you give us this? How about, how about we just say this? And uh, guilty it is. And how many times have you talked to a jury afterwards where they've convicted like that, where there's like 20 counts and you hear 17 not guilties and you get three guilties at the end and they've compromised and the jury doesn't get to know what the consequence of that is. They don't get to know the penalty of that. So what may seem like a a favor on a lesser included offense or like a gift to the defense is nothing but that, you know, it's a, it's 20 years in prison.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I was as you were as you were talking, Steve, I was only adding in my own mind. How often have you talked to a jury after a trial like this or, more, or where they say to you, so is the guy going to get probation? Yeah. You know, like, you know, you know, they, they're they hey, you know, we really did you a solid. You're 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 really happy with the verdict. huh? And you're like, no. Well, why what's going to happen to him he's going to go to prison for 20 years they're like 20 years we found him not guilty on on eight of the ten charges how's he going to prison for 20 years because because that's what the law says he has to go to prison for
0: yeah the the most painful <laughs> i mean it, it, that happened to me in a, in a guy who was wrongfully accused of uh, a child sex case and i said 20 and 17 because that was a case i had there were 20 counts um and uh, we heard seventeen not guilties, and then three guilties at the end. Um, the the I went and talked to the jury, and they were all happy. They're shaking my hand. They're like, "Well, wh- you know, when is sentencing?" I said, "Well, it just happened." Right. Right. And they looked at me like in shock. And they're like, "Well, what happened?" I said, "Well, he got life." And they said, "What does that mean?" <laughs> I said, "That means he got life. Actually, <laughs> right. forgive me, life times three. <laughs> right. Because there's three guilds, and they were they were absolutely – I mean, it, they were – you could almost see people wanting to pass out. They did not want that result or that outcome, um, and they compromised, convicted them, and here we are. You know, that's um, – I wonder sometimes if it's if it's right that they get to know or not know the penalties of, of various cases because you run into that kind of stuff where uh, it just – it's so insane, uh, some of these uh, mandatory sentencing uh, provisions that – uh, I don't think juries, let alone let alone the public, understand that.
1: No, 100 percent agreed.
0: Well, I we've been at it about an hour. I think we'll wrap it up, but uh, no, good talk. I uh, I was curious. I've been you and I've been working on another self defense case, and I've been curious your thoughts on this. We haven't really sat down and really hashed it out. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more we could do, but I think we'd be the only ones that'd be interested. So we'll we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, again, this is Mark Satawa. Mark, uh, obviously, you go all over the country to defend cases. If somebody wants to look you up, why don't we just uh, give everybody some quick contact info so they can do it?
1: Well, like, you, they can always go to my website, um, uh, protectingyourfuture.info. Um, the uh, the phone number is 248-356-8320. And, of course, uh, we have, you and I together, a criminal consulting criminal defense consulting firm that does consulting on these cases in any case, quite frankly, all over the country. And that is um, criminal defense consultants dot com, right?
0: Yeah, it's a dot com. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where of have a quick a couple things, though. Um, first of all, if uh, Mark is a phenomenal lawyer Uh, If you need help anywhere, I mean, you've traveled all over doing uh, child sex abuse uh, defense and and defense of all sorts of other types of uh, criminal work. You've been featured on uh, national media sources and interviewed even just recently, I guess. Uh, So there's, you know, don't let his humble nature fool you. He's a guy you'd want. Uh, And then on the criminal defense consultants, uh, you know, we've come up with this theory that it's sometimes better not to be directly involved but you know we can actually provide some as you call it mark the 13th man perspective to to look at something uh, help even hopefully the best lawyers uh, actually come in help them assess the case independently without the lens that's been uh, already filtered with our own uh, interaction with the with the case Uh, in in for whatever it's worth I often do that with other lawyers. I do it with Mark all the time. I have him come in and consult for me because it's way too easy, even if you're an experienced lawyer, uh, to lose sight of the bigger picture issues and get stuck on a narrative or a certain version of it. So that's the idea behind the criminal defense consultants. Whether you're a client, whether you're an attorney, uh, look us up. It's uh, it's really a phenomenal process when it unfolds the way it should.
1: Yeah. No. I'm uh, criminaldefenseconsultants.com is is the place to find us for that. And, um, you know, look, it, 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 this this method works and, and, you know, it's very easy for us to say this, but, you know, I mean, you know, don't take our word for it, go to the website, look at the testimonials, read for yourself, educate yourself. Um, I gotta tell you in this day and age, the, the plaintiffs lawyers have been doing focus groups for decades, decades. They don't try cases without doing them and shame on us criminal defense lawyers for taking as long as we've taken to get around doing it. Now that we've started doing it, we've, we found a few other uh, people that do it. Over, uh, you know, uh, I think we ran into a guy from Kansas or St. Louis um, and uh, someone else from down in Texas, I think, but man, there, there just isn't that many people doing this, not the, what we do. And, and it's, it is invaluable. I, I won't try a case anymore without doing it. You won't try a case anymore without me doing it for you. I won't do it without you doing it for me um we got a focus group coming up in my in in a child sexual assault case that i'm doing where you're doing the focus group We got another case coming up for you in ohio where i'm doing the focus group and and you know folks if you know look it's relatively affordable given the you know the big with the stakes involved in these cases and 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 I, i i virtually guarantee you you will get insight out of the process that you would have never had without it.
0: Yeah, it'll blow you away. And I, I speak from experience. The first time I had a case where uh, Mark and company came down and, and, and did it uh, or gave us the, the the focus group and some of the consulting, uh, it changed my world. I'll never, I'll, I don't want to say never because you don't always, like, I can't do it for a DUI trial, but I wish I could. I can't do it always for uh, the lower level stuff that just sort of happens, but I wish I could. It's like once you go down that uh, that path, you realize what what it can do for you and what you have and you, you feel like you're missing something when you don't do it. So, uh, 100%. yeah, look it up criminal defense, com. Uh, if you're ever in trouble up in Michigan or anywhere else and want uh Mark to get involved, you know how to reach him now. That was uh defending your
1: protecting your future. info.
0: protecting your future. info. So, all right, well, we're going to sign off now. Uh, you've got the predictions for Rittenhouse. I predict an acquittal <laughs> on all fronts, Mark, uh, not so confident, but, uh, Only time will tell. The good news is all we have to do is wait. So with that, we're going to sign off. Mark, thanks again for joining. Your insight is always appreciated. Thanks, Steve. All right. That was Mark Zatawa again, helping me out, uh, breaking down the Rittenhouse trial. A little bit longer than usual, but I think it was uh, well worth it as we pursue the never ending task of making complicated things simple. And as I always say, almost everything can be made simple here at Lawyer Talk Legal Breakdown. As always, if you have a topic you want us to break down here at Lawyer Talk, just uh, look us up, LawyerTalkPodcast.com. If you have any issues or questions uh, that are illegal in nature, you can always look me up at the law firm com. And as always, we are off the record, but on the air, at least until now.